welcome to episode seven of the Boot Room Podcast. And for me, one of the most important podcasts that I've ever been involved in. Joining me tonight is ex-Forest and Leicester defender Alan Rogers. And as always, football analyst for the US national team and sports psychologist Christy Holly. Tonight we discuss what life is like after being a professional footballer, how the players cope with integrating back into normal life and what support do they get during and after their careers. I have to admit we discussed some tough topics, uh, but important topics around mental health and the impact that some bad financial advice has had on Alan and a number of ex-players. I'm proud of this podcast and want to thank Alan for the openness and trust that he put in us to be able to put this podcast together. And I hope for anyone that's listening, uh, hopefully you can take something from this. And if you are struggling at all, reach out to those around you. I hope you all enjoy it. Thanks. Good evening, gents, and welcome to episode seven. Delighted to have you both back on the Booth Room podcast. How are you? You well? Very well, thanks, volume. All good, good, mate. Christy, how, how's things with yourself, mate? You well? All peachy over here. It's nice and uh, cold over here in New Jersey. <laughs> to, not to make you jealous about the uh, the Emerald Isle back home, mate, but it is absolutely cracking the flags here at the moment. Oh, that's, that's not nice, mate. You'll be telling me you're drinking a nice pint of Guinness next. I'm actually sat here with a nice glass of Bailey's, mate. I'm feeling a little bit uh, sophisticated well, tonight. I've got a water <laughs> out <of> <laughs> <laughs> so so what we want to do lads we want to do a, a slightly different podcast to, to normal this week um what we want to try and do is is focus on what life is like for footballers once they've finished their careers uh, as you've probably seen in the news there's been lots about uh, the outgoing pfa chief gordon taylor and for yourself al it's been a, a particularly busy week uh, you actually had a, a nationally published article in the Daily Mail about some of the issues that, that you've had personally since your retirement. So before we, we jump into that in a little bit more detail, I, w- I want to go back, if, if possible, to when your career was was coming to an end and, and you were facing the sort of twilight years. You know, you had a, as a professional had over 12 years uh, as a footballer spanning across seven clubs. And when you were coming to, to the end of, of your career, Al, at Accrington Stanley, try and give us an idea, I suppose, for, for those that have always wanted the insight and perhaps, um, you know, would uh, would not be too clued in as to, to what you would be feeling coming to that stage of your career. What, what type of emotions were you going through as, as you reached that stage? Well, it's, it's a strange one because I got an injury when I was 24 and I was never quite the same player and I, I was half expecting that I wouldn't get to the retirement age of 36, which is, you know, the average age really. I knew I wouldn't get to that age. Now, I was fortunate where I, um, I started my career at a very early age at 17, but I was finished at 29 and I should imagine, I'd say like the Accrington thing was kind of done as a favour to the managers when I went there. Um, I was already retired in my head then. Um I'd say from the age of 27, when I, you know, you, you, you know yourself, lads, you know when your game's not the same. And I knew I was coming to the end. And it's, it is, it's uh, unbelievable. I found it a, a horrible void and a worry of, of what, what's coming next. You know, I just, mm-hmm. I was kind of like, mm-hmm. I'd have moments and I still have moments now and I'd still, you know, and I, we, we will speak about that a bit later, obviously, but I'd have moments where I'd be 28, 29 and I, I'm just kind of like, right, I'm not the player I was due to injury. Um, and I'd just sit and I'd just be, I'd get all nervous and worried about, about what's next, you know, because all as I'd ever known from the age of 15 when I left school and I went to do the YTX and Tramia and then turned pro and 
all as I'd known was football. There was nothing else. There was no courses to, to do. There was no, you know, it was just football. And I, I, I did find myself, you know, now I'm a little bit older and wiser. You know, it was kind of like an anxious thing where at that moment and I'd be like, wow, you know, I'm 28, 29 and I'm retiring and, what you know, I've got so much life left. What what you do? In your career, what type of support networks did they have in place? And that can be during your career. Do they educate you at the start of your career? And then I suppose more importantly, after your career, what do they put in place for you to to help you in any of the, the challenges that you have? Nothing put in place. There's absolutely nothing put in place. Really? Nobody, you know, and, and this is the worry. I mean, this is where the PFA for me personally, they're not, they're not there. They're not, they're not what doing what they're designed to do. I retired from football, and then there's just this huge void. What you've got to try and fill, and you can't. No matter what you do, you can't fill that void. You, there's no, there's no void, or there's nothing what you can do what fills the void of becoming a professional footballer one day, and then one day you're not a professional footballer. Now, there's no support network. There's not a great deal. I've had deals with the peer dealings with the PFA, where I've emailed them and beg, basically begging them for help, which would come to you a bit later on. And I got one email back, and then I never heard another thing since. There's actually, I, I don't know what it's like now because I'm not a player now, but there's absolutely no one. And I, I wouldn't know how to get a job. I wouldn't know how to, you know, I've applied for job. I wouldn't know. I, I wouldn't have a clue how you go and have a job interview. So, Alan, I wanted to jump in, right? So, we're talking about the end of your career, but 15, 16, right? So, was that you done with school? Was your your further education done? It's funny point? about it because I was talking to my son about this now because he does day release at Burnley, and, you know, they, they, it's great what they do there. They, they take him out of school on a Thursday, and he gets picked up at seven o'clock in the morning uh, at the pickup point. They take him in, he has, uh, he has lessons, three training sessions during the day, gym session, and he has lessons through the day. And it's great that. But we used to go to college on a thirsty a thirsty yeah. morning when I was a white TS. And do you know what? My, my lad said to me, what did you do? Mm-hmm. And I, do you know what? I was like, we, we never done nothing. And he was like, well, what you? I went, do you know what, son? We never yeah, actually done yeah. nothing. We used to, it was kind of like a day off. Now, honestly, I've been scratching my brain. Do you know what you think? <laughs> we must have done something. But honestly, we used to go to college up near Tubrook. And I genuinely can't remember what we actually done. As far as I knew, we used to go in, mess about, and then finish it half day and think, that's great, we're going on. It's like a day off. See, I think that's so fascinating because to me, right now out here, one of the big issues that you're hearing discussed quite a bit is that, you know, the the university pathway for players, for players, for young players growing up in America, the first aspiration is to try and get a scholarship so they can, you know, save money going through college. And then they do that and then they go into the MLS or if they're fortunate enough, they might get over to play in Europe. And on the female side, it's definitely a big challenge because during those four years of college, they're falling behind their counterparts around the world because that's four years of university football versus four years of professional football. But I've been asked at times to encourage some players to avoid going to university and and go straight into playing professionally. But my concern is, one, your professional career can end abruptly due to any type of injury and you've you've got very limited education but two i know quite a lot of players and even just having casual conversation with yourself is when this does come to an end not having an education is is tough because 
you know, some players are fortunate enough where they don't need it financially, but even when they, you know, even when they don't need it financially, you know, going into an interview and sitting down and, and presenting your skill set and what your previous education is something that helps fill the void and, and helps give you a routine yeah, in your day to day life, right? Yeah, and that, that's, that's the key. But right? I'll drum into me son now. You know, get your education sorted. There's football. You know, he's a he's a very talented young player, but he's he's got to get his education. He's got to have something to fall back on. I got told I was getting a YTS at Tramia in very early very early doors when I was 15, 14, 15. So I knew I knew what I was doing after school, and through my own fault, admittedly, I kind of took my foot off the gas with my schoolwork because. My focus was I've got my YTS and my goal was I want to be in Tramia's first team before I'm a first-year pro. And that was my goal. Now, my fo- my sole focus then was on football. Now, that's that's my doing, really, because I did take the foot off the gas with that. You know, I was quite de- I was decent in school and I got a few GCSEs. But looking back now, you know, I I, sh- I should have really focused and, you know, got the, the right results, what I should have done. I should have tried to get a trade. I should have qualified at something or done something. But nobody ever come to me when I was 18, 19 years of age, when I was getting big moves to Nottingham Forest and said to me, listen, you need to get your education and plan for the afterlife and of football and you need to do this and get this in place. No, you're just a footballer. And then the day you retire, the next day, you're not a footballer. You're just an ex-footballer. See, this is this is what interests me, Al. It's in particularly around um, the the PFA. Uh, you know, they've been in the news a lot recently, um, particularly around Gordon Taylor. And, and I'd love to get a little bit of insight in, in exactly what they claim to support in. Uh, where do they add value to the players? Would I be right in, in saying that you have to bit pay a fee? Don't quote me on this. I think I'm right in, in stating the PFA get 10% of every transfer fee what goes on through clubs, from club to club. Or they did do back then, certainly when I was playing. You pay a, a yearly subscription to the PFA as well to be like kind of, of a member of the PFA. Um, now, in my opinion and my dealings with when I've needed the PFA, this and this is just my opinion. They have absolutely categorically failed to be there. I've been, I've, I've, I've needed them twice. I've contacted them once over because you get special grants when you're the uh, ex player, and I wanted to get my knee surgery done because so I could um, go towards my coaching. Um, filled all the documents in. Never got a single email back. I contacted the PFA about doing my badges and never got a single reply back of them. I ended up doing my badges in uh, in Belfast with the Irish FA, who were absolutely phenomenal. I emailed the Irish FA, and the next morning I got a phone call of Nigel Best, who's the head of the Irish FA. How can we help you, Alan? Them Irish people are brilliant, aren't they? Tell you what, those Irish people. I tell you what. But that's, that's so interesting. I mean, so, you know, we, we talk about this, and, you know, opportunities to further your education. To me... If I'm the the PFA and if I'm the overarching FA, who I think just changed their their name in the last few days, right? I want ex professional players heavily involved at grassroots levels. I want you guys on the floor as role models to the future generation. So the no brainer to me is as you're going through your yeah. career, I, I want you taking your your coaching badges. That was never something that was put towards you, was it? When, you know, say you were 21, 22 and, you know, you're living the professional life. They say, nobody sat you down and said, 
listen here, we're going to put you through your, your C, your B, your A. I didn't even know that there was a UEFA B and an A licence until Mickey Adams spoke to me maybe 10 years ago and said, why don't you get involved? He said, you've got such a personality that you the kids, are, you, you work with the kids, they love you. He said, why don't you get your badge? And I was like, badges? He's like, yeah, go and get your weight. And, you know, and, you know, that, I look at that and think, you know, you kind of laugh at it, but you you don't really have a, a network there which kind of guiding you in any shape, way or form. Yeah. And, and can I ask, Al, and maybe this is a, you know, a, a little bit of an out there question, but do you think, let's say, for example, you approach the PFA and you're somebody of the profile of a senior England international, but, and then all of us, or an ex-senior England international, I should say. And then let's say you're somebody who's played League One, League Two. Do you think the service that you are provided is completely different? Plus, based- I've done my UEFA B&A badges with Teddy Sheringham in Belfast. Now, Teddy was kind of at the same feeling. He contacted the PFA and was like, I want to do my badges. And he kind of was very dismissive of them. It was only when he actually went to the Irish FA and got on their course that the PFA were like, oh, no, you, you know, you can come on this course. And he was like, no, no, you know, it's, it's okay I'm here now, thank you, but you weren't there when I asked you, so why would you want me to come and do them with you now? So I don't I don't really know. Um, I can only go off what my dealings with the PFA were, and when I've needed them, they've never been there. Quite the opposite. And, and in terms then, I suppose, because I, I know myself, and uh, I'm not even saying it's remotely on the same level, but I found that football was always a release f- for me. I, I'm, and when I start playing, I miss the comp- com- not only the competitive nature of it, and and having that release, uh, you know, on on a Saturday or, or a Sunday, I miss being around the lads. I, I actually probably missed being around the lads more than the football, to be honest. Um, as you said yourself, you know, this has been the the, the centre of your life since an early age. You know, football was all I did since the age of seven. It's all I'd known, and 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 same for both of you. So. When that, when you're told that that's stopping, and there hasn't been necessarily the support networks around you, how how did you adjust? I, it's it's different. I've never really kind of spoke about it. I've, I've been having these kind of feelings, and you know, when when I see people speak about the melt melt thing, time your bravado kicks in. Certainly does with me, and I kind of, and I, I'm not ashamed to say it. I've looked at people and gone, he's weak. What's up with him? You know, kind of man up like. That's just the bravado with me, and you know, I've been, I've been, it's, I've said to my man, I do struggle to mm. speak about it because I'm not very good like that. I'm kind of like, I'm the man. I, you know, I'm a big man, and I don't really. But I spoke to my missus for the first time, just, um, I'd say only three or four, just before Christmas, and I said, I'm having some really, really dark thoughts, and I'm really struggling. Here. And I actually broke down to her, and she was like, I know, and I'm like, What do you mean, you know? She went, I know. I'm like, what? no, you, well, you can't know because I'm thinking she went. She, and then she knew. I go from, I'm the liveliest lad around and I'm, I'm, I love having a laugh and a joke, but I just sometimes I just, now I'm kind of coming to, I'm not coming to terms with it, but I'm kind of thinking you need to speak or you need to do something with me because I've had the darkest of darkest thoughts. I really have. And I've had this for, since I've stopped playing football for 10 years and I've, I've always used to think to myself, what is this? You know what? 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 What's going through you here? You know, and that's kind of, and I would. I'd go for days on end where it'd be horrible to be around. I'd be snappy with me missus, snappy with the kids, mm-hmm. and yeah. then something. And I still don't even know what it is because I'm only slowly now coming to terms with it. 
you know, what is going on with me? I'm like, why do I feel all right now? And and do you think in part, and and we we can go into to this in detail because uh, you know I Christy um, is a is a sports psychologist, and and I I've had. Um, issues in the past and some some issues that I'm now coming to terms with and, and and I'm happy to talk about but I think one of the things that that really helped me and I'd be the same as you Al you know I'm always the loudest in every party I'm always seen and Christie's played with me he knows I'll always be the first one in the trenches I, I that's where I'm at my, my happiest and um, you know leader of men getting stuck in protecting your, your friends and, and the strong one of the group but behind all of that there was always thoughts going on in, in my mind that I couldn't quite explain. I couldn't quite justify. Like you said, there, are out, you know, in, in my, my quieter moments, snappy, dark, darker thoughts. And I found that the, and I think it's an age thing, you know, you start, you want to understand why you know that something's not quite right. But as you said there, you have this, uh, if you have this, people have this perception of you that you're the strong one in the room. I think within football, it is that, um, you know, they're weak. You don't want to show weakness, particularly if you are a character of that nature. Um, do you feel that that is still existing within football today and that there would be a lot of other players that would, would be feeling like that and still don't feel that we've come far enough? It it, it, it just is. You, you'll never get away from that. And I do think that there might be a bit of a support network out there now and the mental health side of stuff's coming through. But you know, even going back six months ago, I was, you know, I'm like, I, I couldn't get why I was feeling these feelings and why I'm feeling them. And I tried to brush them aside and then they'd come stronger when I tried to brush them aside. And it, honestly, I, you know, I, the, the, the darkest of darkest thoughts that I was having, and I was thought, I don't really want to be here. And I couldn't grasp and it'd go on for days and then, and then I'd be okay. And then I'm like, I used to sing to myself and then I beat myself. I was like, why? You know, when I just... It was only, as I say, it was just a couple, and I did broke down to miss, and I'm like, I've, I've never felt like this before. I can't control it. I don't know how to stop it. I don't know why I'm feeling like this. Um, and I, and she was like, yeah, no. With, now, now that you've kind of discovered it within yourself, you know, and you've you've realized it a little bit more openly in the last three or four months, there's no doubt that there's all our previous, or, you know, ex-footballers, certainly of your generation, that are experiencing similar issues. Is there anything that the PFA offer in terms of a support network where ex-pros can communicate openly because it's definitely a tough topic and you know someone like Stan Collymore's definitely been very open about it um I've heard Jamie O'Hara recently talking about it and it was it's, it's devastating to hear it really is and it's it's a very um sensitive subject and you know you, you only have to sit down and and spend a little bit of time reading to understand how many sports athletes definitely struggle. I was flicking through Twitter, and it just started uh, raining, so I just waited in my car a minute. I was going to get a coffee, and I was just flicking through Twitter, and I seen TalkSport, and uh, Chris Kirkland's on it, and I watched it, and I was close to tears in my car. This is the, And I've not, not told anyone this. I was actually close to tears in my car listening to Chris Kirkland on talk on TalkSport mm-hmm. about his issues, because I was like, yeah. I've been exactly what you're talking about. And I've never really and it's only the last as I say the last couple of months. And this is the first time I've spoke about it with you lads openly to anybody except my missus, which was only three months ago. And I've had this feeling for ten, twelve years and I couldn't understand what was going on. And honestly, I, I had tears in my eyes listening to Chris Kirkland and I was like, Oh, 
but but I think this is the this is the important part, Alan. And and you know the more that because it takes for me it takes incredible bravery for for men to to talk up about the the issues that they've had, particularly when they don't necessarily understand them themselves. You know, and the fact that through speaking up, Chris Kirkland was able to uh, to connect with you in some description, which has now sent you, not necessarily, uh, you know, as a direct result, but it's sent you on a path of wanting to understand. It's given you some solace in the fact that other players are experiencing the same. And I know when I've gone through my own issues, um, I find it incredibly helpful to be able to talk. And, you know, there's a, there's a real push at the moment to, uh, you know, I think the, the the tagline is it's okay to not be okay and for men to be able to to talk about this. And, the, you know, it just seems like there's such a hole yeah. in not only the PFA's approach, but just in, in the football world in general, that there's so many players that feel cast aside. They feel alone. Now, what I did notice about Chris Kirkland was Chris Kirkland went to the PFA. He said that he... Um, oh, the, what was the centre forward's name he used to play for Liverpool? Just the commentary now. Mella? Neil Mella, that's right. He lives up here near me as well, Chris Kirkland and Neil Mella. He went to Neil Mella. Neil Mella said to put him in touch with the PFA. I personally, any faith in the PFA with my dealings with them to phone them up and say, listen, I'm struggling here. So that for me is kind of off the table because I don't trust them. I don't think they're there for you. And that's just where I'm at at the minute. So, you know, to kind of speaking with you lads here is kind of my way of, yeah, you know, I've got struggles, I've had struggles, I'm in struggles um, with what goes on with my head and inside and feelings. and um, But I don't feel I could go to supposedly my uh, union and ask for help because I've been to them twice and I've been, which will come in later in the programme, and I've, I feel I've been let down dramatically by them and kind of dismissed. It's really disappointing to hear, you know, because to me... Yeah. The PFA has a responsibility to take care of your post-playing career well-being, not just yours, but every player that has gone through the cycle, whether it's a player that's played 500 times in the Premier League or someone that's played 10 times. Because the players are, and, and you can speak about this in your own first-hand experience, my experience has been dealing more on the with the female athletes, but yeah. you, you go yeah. through and you experience such highs. Yeah. And you're living a life where you're, and again, you can touch on this, but you've been told what to eat, when to eat, how to eat, what to wear, when to wake up, when to go to sleep. You're living this this routine. And when it's gone, you're there's a big void in your life. And I, I genuinely feel that the PFA needs to help guide you, transition you out of that over a two, three-year period. I, and that's, I agree with that. Because they've, their benefit and the FA has benefited from your exploits on the field. They have to take care of your off-the-field well-being. And from your side, Christy, just, ju- just I suppose in terms of the players that you've worked with and, and the experiences that you've had, what are the, I suppose, and uh, you could probably have, we could probably have a separate podcast for this, but what are some of the most effective coping mechanisms for players that would be struggling with, whether it's some form of depression, some form of anxiety, um, what can be you know really helpful tips, best practices for, for players that are struggling? I think, I think, for every person or every individual, it's definitely unique to their own certain situation, you know. And but there's no doubt that surrounding yourself and, and building a support network with people that you trust and people that you can rely on, you can speak openly with, is is absolutely key. Um, 
you know, so that's a, that's the first thing for players coming out of, you know, coming out of retirement. It's, it's really, and Alan, you could touch on this. It's really trying to find your new identity in life, you know? So what, one of the things that I kind of learned over a period of time was a lot of these football players, whether it's football, whether it's rugby or, you know, over here, basketball, NFL, the experience on was called identity foreclosure, which is essentially at a very young age, they've they've jumped on to they've committed too early to a certain identity, which is I am a footballer and this is everything in my life and that is all I will be. And you know what? At the age of twenty one, twenty two, I probably would have done the same thing. As I think I still think I'm and, one now, Christy. To be honest, <laughs> I do too. But don't tell anybody. Yeah. I'm sitting here wearing my predators and my shin guards. <laughs> I got my socks up to my knees. But um, you know, so it, they're committing too early because ultimately you're living a dream, right? But what what I think is important again, and it touches on something that we spoke about earlier. Is I think that PFA, even at a younger age, as you enter into this. They have responsibility to make sure you have a really balanced life. So you're not committing solely to being this footballer. So as you transition out of it, you have your own identity off the field, whether you're a, a businessman, whether you're working in, in a school system, whatever it might be. You know, so I think that part is key. Did you well, feel well, that? Um, yeah, but that's that's my everything then. You know, I'm, my sole focus is just on being the, the best I can for Nottingham Forest. And you're just focusing on football. Um you know, I think we'll speak about it shortly. Regard, and then you have people who come in and supposedly looking after your finances and advising you in the right things and putting you in the right things, um, and only you know you find out later on that they're not actually looking after you the way they should be. And this is where another failing of mine was through the PFA. You know, I trusted the PFA. Uh, a guy called Vince O'Keefe, he was the main financial advisor from the PFA. Now, he advised me to put my money into a company called Kingsbridge. Now, Kingsbridge then put me into a sip with AJ Bell. And, you know, these, when I'm looking at this is why I can't, I wouldn't be able to speak to the PFA about my state of mind at the moment because I can't trust them as a union because, in fact, and this is just a fact, the fact of the matter is Vince O'Keefe, who's the PFA financial advisor, advised me to put my trust into a guy called Kevin McMenamin at Kingsbridge. Now, Kingsbridge put me into a sip with AJ Bell. Kingsbridge now have been made bankrupt and the two directors have been arrested for mass fraud. Now, this was a company the PFA told me to use. So how can I then go to the PFA and say, and then when when all of the stuff went wrong with AJ Bell, when basically, you know, and this, as I say, this is just a fact. I've you've seen the emails, Jamie, yeah. and I put the emails out there it's where it's- I bought a property for five hundred thousand pounds. That was my future. That's my kid's future. And then basically got backed into a corner and bullied so much and getting told by. Bruce Robinson, the main legal fella at AJ Bell, that the property has got nothing to do with me. The trustees can do what they want, when they want, how they want with my money. And it was my money. You know, if I put money into something, it's still my money. But then the trustees are telling me that they're selling the property, they're putting it up for auction. And these are all these are emails and these are facts. The AJ Bell, where I lost a half a million pound property, which was eventually sold for thirty thousand pounds, left me with a, a whopping gauge of four hundred ninety-five thousand pound loss. So 
it brings back to the PFA. How can I go to the PFA and say, look, I'm feeling these feelings when when I've asked them and they've put me into something where I've lost my pension? But this is the but this is the thing, Al. It's it's all interlinked, and and for people listening that that maybe hadn't seen the article, we uh, we we referenced this at the start. Al was 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 brave enough to speak out about uh, the story that he's just said um, in, in terms of the advice he was given at a younger age. Um, this article has now been in shared last week in the in the Daily Mail, and I'll link the article to the the podcast for everybody to get a little bit more context. But in terms of the experiences that you've had and you've touched on the the struggles that you've had uh, mentally, one of the biggest causes of mental health issues is financial worries. And we can all relate to them, whether you've had um, you know, money in the past, whether you, you, you've always struggled for money, whether you don't know what to do with your money and you're unsure of the advice that you've been given. It's all interlinked and can feed into this, this negative thought cycle. So for you, as a player that has... Uh, you know, secured a big move to a big club. You're, I assume, you'd be like me. You know, you wouldn't know the first thing about where to invest, how to invest. I'm not going to mention names. I will mention one name because he's actually said it's okay to mention him. Um, and I've spoke to him several times over the last week, and his wife's have sent emails and that. And it's Craig Short. Now, Craig Short had the exact same routine as me. Vince O'Keefe from the PFA spoke to Craig Short, advised him to join Kingsbridge. Kingsbridge put him into an AJ Bell SIP and he's lost 80% of his pension. Now, these are people who we're trusting. Now, what I spoke, and I've literally spoke to Craig three times a day. I spoke to Craig at uh, six o'clock this afternoon and he was just like, how are you going, Alan? It's kind of like we're speaking now because we've all, We've all been in with this cycle with the three, the PF, me personally, it was the PFA, Kingsbridge, AJ Bell, lost the fortune. Now, I've just, I think I've, I've told you the players, I've just been driving home from my son's academy and then another ex-Premier League player has got the exact same issues. Now, there's something big building and, you know, and I, I, I'm fully aware that I, Andy Bell, the CEO of AJ Bell, has tried to stop me. Now, he's tried to stop me for the reason because... He doesn't want me to come out and say the facts of the matter are this is what happens. This is what happened to me and I lost this and your company bullied me to sell my property. But now the amount of players was popping up and say, oh, that happened to me. That happened to me. The count at the minute is at 27. 27. Now I spoke to an unbelievably high profile player who I can't name, but you're talking about one of the world's greatest players who's not long retired, his financial advisor rung me today and he was like, let me tell you that there's over 150 players who are in the same position. Now, that's serious because us as players, all I wanted to do when I was 18, 19, 20, 21 was play football. I was earning very, very good money. I was earning very good money. I was also, I thought, investing my money well. I got the right, what I thought I was getting the right financial uh, dealings with the right people. And I couldn't have been more wrong. I couldn't have been more wrong. It's been proven Kingsbridge, they, I mean, anyone can see that Kingsbridge has been bankrupt and the two their CEOs or directors, whatever they are, have been arrested and they're out on bail now. There's a massive, a massive investigation going on with the City of London. And this is just the beginning. And since I've come out with the article, because the problem what you've got is there's a lot of us ex-players who don't like to speak out, who don't like to say, I've lost money. 
because we still like that bravado that, yeah, I've earned millions and I've got millions. Well, none of us have anymore. We've all earned millions and, yeah, you know, we're, we're not still players. And I just think a few more might come out and pop up. Now, well, certainly from what my, my phone's not stopped since this article come out with players who's had the same issues what I've had. So, You've just been talking about ex-players getting together and being support. Well, I've been speaking to this uh, ex-player of mine. He was a great lad. I loved him when he was a player. He was a bit older than me. But I always had to go crack him. And, he, and we spoke about the dark times and the dark places and where we've been and what we've done and what we've tried to do. And he's basically saying to me tonight, it, it, ten year, he feels 10 years of his life have been stolen by the shenanigans of what's been going on. And basically, this, trust me, this is going to explode and you, you won't believe what you read when it comes out. And it is coming out. It is coming out. I'm the voice behind it at the minute. You can only hope that it, they actually get exposed and... Every player that is invested, it, at the very least, gets their money back and gets protected because yeah. we know there's a lot of money being thrown around. One of the things that I, you know, it's so disappointing that when when you're younger, you're going to take the advice of people that you're you're taught to trust, right? So that was the advisors, is and that's the the guy Vince so Keith. Is he still associated with the the PFA? Is he is he gone? I read something about it. No, I read something about Vince O'Keefe in an article. I'll have to try and find it, and I'm going to put it up on Twitter because he got questions about his links with Kingsbridge. When Kingsbridge got arrested and all of that, I seen an article with Vince O'Keefe, and I, I was astounded about what I read at the bottom of it when he was questioned about his role in the PFA and putting uh, because it was illegal what he was doing. Basically, mm-hmm. I can only I can only imagine it seems so misguided and and very unjust because it's you know if I'm if I'm looking at young players in the Premier League, and you know it's, it's well documented how much money's been earned, you know you're very vulnerable and, and misguided. His comments, Christy, was, was astounding, mate. When I read it, and I actually just sat back and I just laughed and I thought, "Wow, wow!" His comment was when he was asked about his links. He said he couldn't remember. His head was a bit fuzzy. He serious? That's what that it, it, that's quote unquote what he put. Now, this is when he was being asked about his links with the PFA and putting the PFA members towards Kingsbridge, who were proven to be the most corrupt company. And, you know, they, they, they will go to jail, them two directors, and rightly so. And how did the article come about, Al? Because obviously it sounds like a lot of, of players are in a similar boat. How, how were you approached? How did it come to fruition? It, I've seen an article of a lad who I knew quite well. And I, I, I had, you know, he's a good lad. It's a lad called Jamie Lawrence. He's an ex-winger from Bradford. And I used to have some right battles with Jamie, but it always ends with like, well done, good game. And we kicked lumps out of each other, me and Jamie Lawrence. But it always ended up at Anfield. Right? Yeah, great lad, absolute great lad. And I seen, yeah. I seen his article in the Daily Mail about um, he had financial difficulties and he was, he is, he lost his bank or something. And his, I don't know the ins and outs because I didn't pry too much in it. Um, so cut a long story short with Jamie, he, he couldn't get his pension and he was struggling to get his pension for sixteen months and he was begging the PFA for help. Can you help me on this? Can you come and do this? Can you help me? And banging his head against a brick wall. So that he contacted the Daily Mail, this uh, Adam, who wrote my article in the Daily Mail, and went, can you help me here? I'm trying to get this. The Daily Mail rung up Richard Jobson, who, by the way, is one. He is the worst member of the PFA. I've rung him on numerous occasions. He just blanks your calls and doesn't return a call. He rung Richard Jobson, the Daily Mail, after Jamie Lawrence has been ringing him for 16 months, asking him to find his money. Within two hours, Richard Jobson rung Jamie Lawrence after the Daily Mail had, ra- had rang him and said, we've located your money. It's not what you know, it's who you know. That's either the biggest coincidence in the world. 
or they just don't give two shits about Jamie Lawrence excuse the language. It, it's it's all right, mate. It's it's not a family show. This one you're allowed to let the odds wear where those. Um, okay. it, I think it sounds a case. It's a case of it's not what you know, it's who you know. And as soon as the the, the pressure was put on there, all of a sudden the the, mud, the the money found its way. But my concern with that is Jamie Lawrence has been phoning the PFA, his union. For 16 months, can you please help me find my money? I need my money. It's, it's what I live on. And he's got he's hit a brick wall for 16 months. Two hours after the PFA get a phone call at the Daily Mail that they're going to publish an article, he found his money. Now, oh, that's an unbelievable coincidence, that, isn't it? I have to ask you, um, so I know that over here with the, with the M, this is a little bit of a stretch here, but the NFL, who are obviously making extortion amounts of money and rightly so because it's a short career and then actually wwe wrestling they yeah. they actually have um and it's someone i know they have a financial educator so when you sign a contract it is one of the stipulations not of the clubs each club within it but the nfl that you must sit through i believe it's two or three seminars on financial education and with regards to how you invested who you invested in, and if the NFL or the clubs have any specific concerns about certain players, then these players have to sit down and go through an extension of these meetings, and they have right. to open up their accounts, and they have to show the accounts of what their money's been spent on. Right. Is, was there ever anything like that? Um, no, absolutely nothing. No, you get nothing. As far as I was aware, the PFA financial guy, Vince O'Keefe, was looking after my money for me. Jeez. Well, now I've learned that it couldn't have been further from the truth. Yeah, yeah, it's so disappointing because you know at the end of the day, again, you're young, you're naive, and you're but you're also putting your your trust in people that you're you're told that exactly. are good people and are going yeah. to do the right thing by you to look after your long term future. I, exactly. I thought it was quite impressive when I heard what the NFL did because it, to one point it might seem like it's a little bit intrusive, but to me they're taking they're taking care of the players because some of these players' careers could be ended yeah. at a click of a finger, you know? So, yeah, yeah it, it's definitely disappointing. What about any any of your previous managers? I know you played for some real big personalities. Did they ever kind of invest some time to sit down and, and kind of get to know the players and say, hey, listen, here's some of the challenges you might face? I don't think that's a manager's role because, you know, a manager's job, a manager's role, uh, being a manager so cutthroat, you know, you're only, you're only two or three games from the sack. So a manager's sole focus is results, results, results. I don't think yeah. it's their role to do it. Um, but you, you know, just just on it, what what I what I want to do, and I've already tried to put things in motion at the minute. I want to I want to get a, a kind of a company together, and this is I don't want this to be a money making company for myself. I want to get a company together, and I want to go round to every single academy in the country. And sit down with the under 18s and the under 23s. And I want to explain to them the pitfalls of making wrong choices and trusting the wrong people with your money. And that includes me, my dealings with the PFA, my dealings with Kingsbridge, and my dealings with AJ Bell. Now, I want to sit down and go into all of these clubs and say, this is what I had, this is what I done, and this is what these corporate bullies done. Do not make the same mistake as me. Yeah, I think that would be very well received. Yeah, and I want, I want, what, but the the only other issue I've got is ideally, I'd like to say you need to put your money with such and such. Now, I can't say to these kids, hand on heart, go with the PFA's financial people because they failed so many former players. 
So this is the bugbear of what I've got. I'm certainly going to sit down with them and explain to them the pitfalls of what I had with the PFA, Kingsbridge, and more publicly is the AJ Bell thing. You know, because I didn't put my money into that ship on the basis that I had absolutely no control over my money and they can do as and wish they please, which is documented in an email from Bruce Robinson. So I really do want to want to get in get into these and um, try and help these kids. I think I think that one of the main thing that comes out of of all of this for me is the lack of communication between all of the key parties. You know, when when you're you're signed to a football club, you think you're on top of the world, you're invincible. Uh, you know, you don't need to uh, worry about tomorrow. But then all of a sudden it's tomorrow and then it all disappears. And because of those lack of, of support networks and the fact that you you tie in the male bravado and the fact that players don't talk about the way that they're feeling or that they're, they're potentially struggling, that seems like a, a, a real... Uh, you know, a, a real worry for a lot of players. And Christy, you know, from, from your perspective, you must see this time and time again when, when players come to see you about some of their struggles. Um, you know, what are, what are some of the most common things that they struggle with when, when they come to see you? I think there's a lot of different things when it comes to that. You know, um, I, I've been fortunate enough to, to work with athletes at a range of levels, whether it's majority on the female side, but whether it's World Cup winners, Olympic winners, to um, boxing, people are out boxing for world titles who have actually won world titles. But I think a lot of it is the anxiety. Um and the, the, the emotions that that stirs up for them and the problems that has on their performance, you know. And then the next part then is the uh, the fear of failure, um, you know, because, you know, I'm sure Alan can testify to this, is one of the great things about the beauty of sport is the amazing highs and the exceptional lows that you experience. And it's it's trying to find a balance as you move through that roller coaster. Um so those are those are some of the the normal ones. You, you you'll have some athletes coming and talk about different motivational concerns that they have and and uh, trying to find a way to improve their focus, etc. But for me, performance anxiety is definitely one of the most con- the most common concerns that is uh, that is that that you see. You know, so that that's definitely something for for Alan, who's probably touched on in terms of you're you're walking in front of. 30,000, 40,000 people. That's, it, it looks fantastic when you're sitting back on TV and you're on the couch, but to do that's certainly not easy. I, I, from my own personal experience, coaching in front of 27, 28,000 people, and you know that everything you say is heard, every action you make is judged, it's certainly not easy. Um, and we often look at the, you know, these athletes at the highest level and think they're absolutely in, invincible. Like they can do anything. They they're everything we aspire to be. But they've got the same they've got the same weaknesses. They've got the same insecurities that we all have. So, Alan, one of the things that um, I was very fortunate enough to do when when I was still at university was interview um, a lot of ex players who had experienced being released from the professional ladder. So, they, I was doing my dissertation at the time, and at the time, I felt I felt it was something that was generally just ignored and just taken for granted we've seen them out in the the pitches you know playing in front of fifty thousand people and being superstars and then as my career went on in coaching i was able to work with professional athletes and and i understood what a struggle it is and they all have different types of issues that they have to face so within the 
within my dissertation, I would bring it back. What I tried to do is I wanted I tried to link in um, the emotions that people like yourself experience to a um, to a former uh, scientist called Kubler Ross, who did the, the five stages of death and dying. What she did was she really based a lot of her um, her science her studying off um, studies that she did and on people who were terminally ill and wanted to understand some of the emotions they experienced. So she came up with five stages that they would go through, which was first one being denial, the second being anger, the third being bargaining, the fourth being depression, and the fifth being acceptance. And and, and it's not to say that it's right, wrong, or different, but I just felt that there was such a strong tie there and the emotions that people like yourself were experiencing to that. And it, you know, when, when someone experiences death, we, we give them a lot of um, compassion. We look after them. But I think when someone retires, we just we just put them away and we say, right, thanks for everything, but see you later. There is. I mean, it's, there's, there's just, there's kind of a, it's a horrible void. And you, you, there's, I think I said it before, there's no filling the void. You can't fill this void. But there's also, there, there has to be something in place for these younger generations who are coming through. And um, mm-hmm. There has to be something for them where, you know, we, we make sure that they don't have to go through these sufferings because, as I say, I'm just early learning and accepting that I've got issues. I'm just I'm just actually accepting and learning that. Now, these lads need to be aware of that and if these lads are feeling that, that we need to get the help for them straight away as early as possible because I've been feeling this way for 10, 12 years and I've only just kind of come to terms with that there's got to be something put in to protect these younger generation that when you retire, that there's got to be, you know, there's got to be something there for them, whether it's, you know, the, the educate, you have to be educated better for the, the pitfalls of retirement because money, but yeah. money is not everything. You know, money's not, money's not everything. You know, I'm, I'm, this is, this is me being openly and honest. Now I've loved my football career. I've enjoyed every minute of it. But the way I felt for the past 10 years, I would much, much, and I would happily, and you might think that this sounds bizarre, I would much have rather have been in a nine-to-five job from the age of 18 to the age of 60 where I know that this is what I'm doing, this is what I need to do, and I've got a purpose and a way of living. It's interesting you say that, Alec, but and, and you know, f- forgive me for saying this, I don't mean to speak out of turn. The thing is, with, with some of the, the problems you're experiencing now, you could quite easily have done that job and still faced some of the the challenges mentally that, that, that you've had. And that's the thing, you know, whether it's anxiety, depression, or any other type of, uh, you know, m- mental problems, they can they can attack anybody and you can't control it. And the, the problem, what I issue is, 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 is now, Jamie, it's kind of like, I don't know how to get a job. I've, no one's ever said to me, this is what you've got to do. I, I'll tell you the quick thing about the first time I, I went for a, a job. Wigan Athletic actually contacted me and I went and had an interview. I went and had an interview with, to get the under 13 role. I've done a, a, a project and I've got it all together in my way of coaching. In my belief, I think that I, I've got a hell of a lot to offer young kids at the game today with the, what I've done in football and my background, the character I am. I went, in, I went into the interview and there was a guy there in a tracksuit, long hair, a headband on, feet on a table, eating biscuits. Now, this is an interview for the job. All he was asked about was my goal against Man United and my career and what I've done. Not interested in anything, 
anything what I had to show them and say. Wow. Now, I got out of that interview and I thought, what a bizarre... Bear in mind, this is the first interview I've ever been on. I got out of that interview and I what a bizarre interview that was. Never asked me anything. Never asked me anything. A friend of a friend who knows someone high up who works at Wigan phoned me. I'd not even mm. got on my car in the car park outside the Wigan Athletic Stadium. And I got a phone call and he said, you know you've got no chance of getting that job. And I was like, how do you know I was going for the job? He went, because as soon as you left there, he said, them lads said, there's no way he's getting the job. He's too much of a threat. Whether it's because I'm an ex-player, these lads hadn't played the game. All I wanted to do was apply for the job as the Wigan under-13 lead phase coach. That's it. That's it. But before I got in my car, and this is honestly, this is the gods on the street. Before I got in the car, I got a phone call to say, there's no way you're getting that job. He's already said and you kind of like, so where, where do you go after that? I've applied for many, many jobs, uh, many academies, Blackburn and Liverpool have sent CVs off to Everton just to say if there's anything coming up. I've I've had one email reply back from Blackburn. Apart from that, I've never had a single response. So these are the other pitfalls what I have and where I struggle to say, like, well, what do you do now? What do I do now? Um, and would the the players that you've reconnected with now over uh, you know over the the last couple of months would they be in uh, a, a similar situation to yourself? I don't know to be honest because this has all just come about since this AJ Bell and PFA and the article in the paper and I'm literally just kind of it's been over the last five or six days where I've been in touch with the ex players and speaking to them and understanding out there and what they're going through and you know, the financial difficulties they've had with these. Um, so I don't know. I've actually never not quite spoke about that yet. But um, I'm sh- I'm sure that this just couldn't have just been happened to me. And that's what, why I think this this article could be so important, Sal, because it really seems like it's, it's creating a bit of a domino effect, not only in highlighting some of the experiences and the, the financial issues that the players have had, particularly around the investments that they've made, but also in the mind frame that they're currently at and the fact that they've been struggling for a while and, and ultimately struggling in silence. So I have to commend you for, for, for being brave enough to, to do the article first and foremost. And then second of all, you know, for, for, for being able to talk to, to me and Christy so openly and honestly about the, the, the issues that you've had. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and, and I'd like to think that we've become good friends now. And I'm, I'm always here, I've said this to you, for somebody to, to, yeah, to yeah, speak yeah, to. Yeah. And I think yeah. hopefully, you know, the reason why we wanted to do this today is, is if one person listens to this, takes some solace from the things that we've discussed um, and decides to, to talk to somebody close to them, I think it's been, you know, immeasurably worth, worth doing it. So I think that yeah. where, where I'd like to kind of finish on, Al, is... If, you know, you've mentioned the, the idea, and, and I think it's a fantastic one, of, of going around academies and highlighting some of the pitfalls to, to young players. If you were to, to give advice to, to the next generation, what type of things would, would you be saying to them? The type of things I'd be saying to them now is that you, 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 you need to get your, educa- your education side sorted. You, that, that's paramount. You have, to, you have to work as hard as your education as you do as your football. If you're fortunate enough to go on and uh, make a career at any sort of level, have something to fall back on, whether it be education or not. Have something in place to, you know, to understand and know the difficulties you're going to face at retirement. That's that's the main thing for me because I've been suffering in silence for ten or twelve years. I've, I'm not ready to actually say what I want to say at the minute, but I think you just kind of get the grasp. I've been in unbelievably dark times. 
twice I've been in such dark times that I've thought about, you know, suicide and thoughts and you're kind of like, this shouldn't happen. And I want to make sure that the younger generation who are coming through, one, they have the, if, they, if they get to these levels, that there's something there where they can feel comfortable to pick up the phone and go, I need help and I can ring at such and such and put to bed these feelings, what I'm having and understand why I'm having these feelings. And I think that, I think the important piece before Alan and Christy touched on it is these players and you yourself, you made a decision early that you were a footballer. Yeah. And everything was geared to being a footballer. You existed as a footballer. And then when that's gone, it's nearly like that you have to learn a whole new identity. It's like, you know, that life, that life what you've known since the age of 14, that life's gone. You no longer live that life. And then it's kind of acceptance. Okay, I don't, I no longer live that life. But what what life do I live now? Because no Mm. one's told me about this. No one's prepared me for this. Yeah, no, nobody prepared, yeah. and, and and the advice yeah, isn't I'm there. Tried to you know to get jobs in football, and it's a waste. It's a you know, I've me personally found it a complete. And, and now you know, I've got, you know, I've played over four hundred career games, a majority of them at the top level. I've, I've got my UEFA for A, my UEFA for B. I think I've got a hell of a lot to offer, but that's not enough because it can't be enough. I paid professionally to get my CV. I've got one of the best CVs to look at visually. Um, I use a fantastic company called Sports Careers. Do an unbelievable job in your CV. Yeah, I've not, I've had one response from. I think the last time I counted, it was about sixty-seven uh, applications I've applied for, and I've had one email reply from all of them, and that was from Blackburn, and that was a no. So, so that that reinforces the point that you think, you know you're you're looking at where where can I go next? And with every CV, you know, there's such competition out there now with every CV that's sent out that has expectation attached to it. And then when you don't get something back, you know, you you look inversely at yourself and then the the dark thoughts that sort of come in again. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, I paid, you know, out of my own pocket to get my UEFA B, my UEFA A, and kind of they're just sat there now, you know, worthless really, in my opinion, for me. Well, I mean, from, from my perspective, it seems criminal that somebody with your experience wouldn't be involved in the game. And hopefully that can be one thing that can come from from this as well, is when people can hear your story. And, and again, you know, the fact that you've been uh, open enough to, to tell it, only good things can come from this, Al. Um, and, and I suppose in terms of next steps for yourself, you know what? What what is next for you? Obviously, you this it looks like we've kind of or, or you've opened a, a can of worms with the the story that was released in the Daily Mail. Uh, I suppose you're probably yeah. trying to still uh, make sense of it all. What's what's next for you then? Now, um, I don't know. I don't I, I don't know at the minute. Um, you know the as the story with the Daily Mail and the uh, pitfalls of what I've found dealing with the PFA, the Kingsbridge, and AJ Bell. Um, it's opened a can of worms, which I didn't expect. And being brutally honest, I genuinely didn't expect this to happen. Um, the amount of ex-players what's come forward and they're in the exact same situation to me is, is grown daily by the number, by the masses. Um, and I, I do want to try and sit down and fathom out a way to get round all of these young up-and-coming players about the, you know, and not make the same mistakes what I made. You know, the investments, what I invested in, where you're getting told you've got, you know, you you have no control of that and we can do as as we please. Now, my advisors at the time should have informed me better of that because I would have never have entered into something like that if I knew that they could take everything away from me within a blink of an eye. Why would you? And I just want to make sure, I'd like to get mm-hmm. out there and try and help the young kids of today to um, not have the troubles what a lot of us ex-players seem to be having at the minute. 
Well, I think if, as I said, if if, if I think your story is going to resonate with, with with a lot of ex players, and and hopefully uh, we can you know we can gather a little bit of momentum now, and and you can get yourself in front of some of the the kids. I think you know academies would be fools not to to call on your experience. And, and try to educate the players of tomorrow because, you know, the last thing you'd want is for, for, for other players to be falling into similar traps like yourself. But as I said, Al, the, the, half the battle is speaking about it, mate, and the fact that you've now been vocal enough. Uh, as I said, I've got confidence that only good things are going to come around the corner. So from from my perspective and and, and Christy, I know he's, he's had to, to, to nip off, but we both massively appreciate you coming on and, and being so open and honest. And as I said, I'm only ever at the end of a phone call away, mate, and that, that will be, remain the same. Cheers, pal. Thanks a lot. No worries, Al. All the best, mate. Cheers, mate. Thank you. So there it is, episode seven of the Boot Room podcast. And I think you'll all agree that I have to thank Alan for his his openness and, and honesty around some really tough topics. And I hope that this can be the start of potentially other players doing the same and, and, and not suffering in silence in the way that, that Alan has and can reach out to those around them. Because if you are able to talk to your nearest and dearest, it really does help. So thank you very much, Al, for being so open and honest. And, and hopefully the, the path moving forward is a lot clearer for you and, and some of your teammates that you mentioned. I hope you all enjoyed the podcast. If you did, please let me know any feedback that you have. If you could please share, like, comment, leave me a review on, on iTunes. That would be fantastic. I really appreciate all the support and read all the feedback that you send me. So keep it coming and I'll be back with you soon for episode eight of the Boot Room Podcast. All the best.